This message I uh, preached this morning, and um, just during the last week or two, I've been saying to God, God, what do you want me to speak on? And, uh, and uh, the word freedom has really been in my mind. And uh, this morning, uh, Ian, unbeknownst to that, brought a very clear prophetic word about freedom. And I thought, oh, I feel so helped by that. God has prepared me. And then there were a number of songs that seemed to be talking about freedom. And I thought, well, one out of two services isn't bad. And then, honestly, Sophie, you didn't know, obviously, what I was going to speak on. And then you start speaking about freedom. And you quote one of the scriptures that I'm going to be speaking from. So I, I want to say this. I want to say this. I think God is speaking. I think God is wanting to, to communicate something that's really important to us this afternoon. So I just urge you to, to um, grip it. <clears throat> okay, so this is what my talk is called. Freedom ain't no optional extra. Because I am down with the kids, that's why. <laughs> well, that's as close as I get anyway. <laughs> Freedom ain't no optional extra. I just, I just did that really because I thought, well, you're probably going to remember that a bit, bit better than if I do it you know, straight. So there you go. Um, but actually, this is true. I think a number of us as Christians do think that freedom is an optional extra. Yeah. We tend to think the most important thing, and, and I think rightly, is, is this person saved or not? Am I saved or not? And we don't think in terms of freedom. How free am I? And um, <clears throat> I hope that by the end of this talk, I will have helped to just convince you to put this whole subject of freedom further up the agenda and to convince you that actually that is God's desire for you. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to read a whole bunch of scriptures together, and they'll all go up here. So we'll just read them out together. So uh, Luke 4, 17 to 20. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, that is Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty or freedom to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty or freedom those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Quite a moment. 2 Corinthians 3. Here we are. This is Sophie's scripture. 17 to 18. Now the Spirit of the Lord is, sorry, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Galatians 1 5, for freedom. freedom. I need a bit more of a brave heart cry than that, you know. Freedom! <laughs> For freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. John 8.32 And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Set you free. Yeah, fantastic. John 8.36 If the Son sets you free, you will be free. Indeed. Amen. That's right. And then lastly, Romans 8.2 for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Wow. Well, look, I hope just reading through some of those scriptures shows you something. It reveals something. It reveals this, that the concept, the, the, the idea, the desire for 
the experience of and the retaining also of freedom is very important to God, isn't it? It's right up there for him. So uh, we, we looked at this in, in Luke 4, and uh, here is Jesus. We've looked at this before. Here is Jesus in Nazareth, and Jesus is announcing his manifesto. Kind of topical at the moment. He's just announced his manifesto. And he's saying, look, this is what I'm about. This is what I've come to do. And there's stuff in there that we would expect. He's come to preach the gospel. Because he's come to preach the good news to the poor. We would say, yeah, we understand that. I've come to, to cause a recovery of sight for the blind. So he's going to heal the sick. Yeah. We would expect that, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah, we would. But then he says twice about freedom. Liberty to the captives. And liberty or freedom to those who are oppressed. He says it twice. It's in there twice. It's right up there for him. This is a big deal. So in the same breath as talking about saving the lost and healing the sick, he's talking about setting people free. This is an important thing for him. Really important thing for him. And actually, this isn't just a New Testament thing. This, This stuff of freedom you find very much in the Old Testament. A little bit of a test for you here. I know uh, you're all uh, experts in Leviticus, obviously. And um, there's, a, there's a certain thing that happens in Leviticus. So every 50 years, every 50 years, a certain year occurs in Old Testament law. Anyone like to guess? Year of Jubilee. Year of Jubilee. Absolutely. Every 50 years, the year of Jubilee is announced. And it's written into the law. God's law. And the year of Jubilee is this. Slaves get set free and land gets handed back to its original owner. There's like a big freedom button, a great big release, reset button that God says, right, every 50 years, boom, I'm going to push the button. Freedom's going to come. You're going to be set free because I love freedom. That's the kind of PS, if you see what I mean, uh, in that. Yeah, good. <laughs> Look, it doesn't get any better than this, okay? So yeah. if that doesn't do it for you, well, I'm sorry, but you just, just, just humor me. <laughs> okay, so, but, but I hope you see from those scriptures the importance of freedom. So I have a question for you. How much does freedom matter to you? How much does your freedom matter to you? How much do you think about your freedom? Uh, let, me, let me put it differently. How free are you? Uh, do you know? <laughs> yeah. How free are you? you know, yeah. There are all sorts of uh, things that we need freedom from, aren't there? There are habits that have a grip on us. Uh, there can be addictions, but, but uh, habits, think ungodly habits, things like fear. Uh, and depression and anxiety. I was saying this morning, I remember some years ago talking to a lady who had a fear that every time she went to bed that she would never wake up. So every time she went to bed, she thought she was going to die. She thought she would never see her family. So every day she faced this fear of, I'm never going to see my family again. All sorts of fears. People have fears of flying. used to have a terrible fear of flying. By the grace of God, that has changed. But it's not good getting into an airplane thinking, I am going to die. (laughs) 
And I have thought that. I've literally got into an aeroplane and thought, well, that's it. It's been a short life, but, you know, <laughs> never mind. It's, it's funny, but it's not funny at the time. It's terrifying. There are these things in our lives that God is interested in, these sorts of irrational worries. And actually, some of us know we have these thoughts, and actually, we're not that bothered. Well, you know, we just say it's part of life, really. Just get over it. Suck it up. Be all right. It's what we say. Many of us, I think as well, when we come to this whole question of how free am I inside, we, we dismiss it as a kind of unhealthy introspection. We kind of say, oh, you're just introverted. You're obsessed with yourself. You hear that occasionally. Uh, it's sort of navel-gazing that gets you nowhere. I want to say, if you think in any way like that, can I point you back to Luke chapter 4 and see how important this stuff is for Jesus? Also, let me just throw this in as well. You notice in the Bible, when people have remarkable encounters with godly, godly freedom, that they are remarkably set free to worship and serve God with passion. I'm thinking of the, the demonized guy in, in Luke 8, you know, the, the naked guy that would run around shouting in Jesus' face. <clears throat> when he got set free, he just wanted to be with Jesus. And he just went and told everyone, do you want to be passionate for Jesus? Yeah, well, let's encounter this freedom, this radical freedom that there is out there. Okay, so a question, therefore, we also need to ask is, what is the Christian's relationship to freedom. As Christians, we need to understand that relationship um, and we need to know how it works because the Bible uh, says something. It says that when you became a Christian, you were set free. There you go. There's Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So in other words, um, you are now free, the Bible tells us, from every sinful and destructive and negative habit that used to enslave you. You are set free. That's what the Bible tells us. And in Romans, it says a bit like this. It says, you used to be a slave to sin. You couldn't help yourself. It's a great excuse, that. Um, you couldn't help yourself with sin. You couldn't help it. You had a, a master who would say, come over here. Sin was a master and it would get you and pull you over. And you'd say, oh, okay, I'll do that. But the day you became a Christian, something radical happened to you. You became a new creation in Christ. And you died to that old master. You actually died to it. That's why we, what happens when we baptize. That's the symbol. You die to your old life. And suddenly, you have a new master. And a new master who pulls you in a different direction. He pulls you towards righteousness. Not by the collar, but, you know, hey. He pulls you in that direction. It's why when you have Christians that try and live worldly lifestyles, they are the most miserable people in the world. <laughs> they are. They really are. They are because everything inside them now is born again. So their instinct is, I want to serve him, know him, but they're trying to have fun this way and it isn't working. Miserable, miserable people. Don't be like that. Now, having said all of that, it's all grand, isn't it? That? But we all know we haven't all got hold of this freedom yet, have we? 
Jeeves is honest. <laughs> yeah, there are, we know that we are still being made free. It's like this freedom that has been accomplished for us has got to be actuated if you see what I mean. It's got to be, um, there are, it's like there are areas of uh, captivity within us that we've got to access, that God is wanting to break in. That's the liberty that he's wanting to bring to you. These areas where we are not free yet, because we are free, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. You can guarantee if you put an animal up, everyone will say, oh, oh that's nice. When I was, when I was growing up, uh, when I was a little, uh, little fella, my sister got some guinea pigs. And uh, one thing my sister didn't know about guinea pigs is if you put boy guinea pigs and girl guinea pigs in the same hutch, you end up with lots more guinea pigs. And uh, that's what happened. So suddenly we had loads of guinea pigs at home. And what we used to do is we used to... We made this large sort of run uh, for some of them. And uh, so it's like a wooden thing, wooden walls with a wire mesh over so the fox couldn't get to them. And then we, we put that on the grass on the, on the lawn and then you put bits of carrot and stuff in and you get the guinea pigs and you'd run in. And then as a little boy, of course, I would just charge up to them and go, <laughs> and then they would run around the edge of the run on the inside. They would, you know, literally run, the <laughs> which was great fun when you leapt at them. And, uh, but they, they literally round the edges, round the edges like this. And then um, after a few days or a few weeks, we would take the run off them. And they would still run around that little square. And it took them ages to work out that they could go anywhere in the lawn now, that this wall had gone. And that's a bit like us as Christians. The run's been taken off. We are free and we can, but somehow still, we stay inside the old confinement. And of course, that is why we run this course. It's coming towards the end now. Anyone on the course? Yeah, doing it. Yeah, Rachel, you're doing it as well. Yes, three, good. I really recommend it. Good course. It's designed to try and help people actualize their freedom that has been accomplished in Christ Jesus. Okay. I'm exhausted. Hang on. <laughs> Just read another scripture. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. When you become a Christian, you are made glorious. But God's plan for you is to turn you from one degree of glory to another, to an even better degree of glory. And then he wants to change you again into another degree of glory. And that process is called sanctification. That's what the Bible calls it. You are being, when you become a Christian, you, whether you like it or not, frankly, you are being sanctified. So yesterday, God, if you're a believer, was sanctifying you. Today, right now, God is sanctifying you. Tomorrow, God is sanctifying you. He's turning you from one degree of glory to another. We have a really helpful biblical image. The Bible says that he is the potter 
and we are the clay. That's a, that's a wonderful picture of sanctification. So God the Father has his hands on you. And you are the clay, I am the clay. And he is molding us, changing us, getting out those bits of imperfection. He's changing the shape of the pot to be exactly as he wants it to be, to be that perfect, mature Christian. And he's got his hands around you. Every day, he's got his hands around you. So that terrible boss you have that is a real pain, God is using that man to change you. That awful situation you're in, Oh, it's just awful. God's hands are around you, and he's shaping you and molding you. He uses nice things too. So I want to say this to you. Part of the deal of being a Christian, therefore, is this. Is that he is looking for change in you. Change is part of the Christian package. So when you become a Christian, it's not do I believe or don't I believe. Yes, I do. Oh, yes, I do now. Oh, that's nice. No, no. God has got you on this process of change. And being a Christian means God is looking to change the way you respond. He's looking to bring more maturity into you. He's looking to bring freedom into you. He's looking to take away fears from you. Um, we see that actually with the disciples. You know, Peter, I love Peter. Bit of a scaredy cat though, isn't he? You notice that with Peter? So he's on the water. Jesus says, come out of the boat. He walks on the water. This is good. And then he sees the wind and the waves and he panics and he begins to sink. So fear comes. Then when Jesus is taken, we see another instance where he's full of fear. We see uh, a little um, uh, girl comes up to him and says, aren't you one of those disciples? And he says, no, no, I'm not, three times. And he, it says he, he goes a bit bonkers, really. He calls down curses on himself, as if to say, I am definitely not one of them. Please, fear has come up in him. And then, of course, Jesus is taken, and the disciples, all of the disciples are scattered. Yet, we go forward a little bit. The Holy Spirit's been poured out. This process of sanctification has been happening in their lives. And suddenly the church has been built. And then persecution falls on the church in, uh, in Jerusalem. And it says the whole church is scattered with the exception of the disciples. Suddenly there's been a change in their lives. Suddenly Peter is not the fearful man anymore. Now Peter is a man who stands up boldly and proclaims the word of God. God is looking to change. God changed him. He is looking to change you and me. Okay, you all right? So, I want to ask you then another question. Can we stop or slow or interfere with the process of sanctification that God has got for us? And I believe the answer to that is yes. Your salvation cannot be touched. But the process of being made more holy, you can interfere with. You can, you can uh, be unhelpful in it. And I'd just like to go through a few things that I think um, interfere with the process of sanctification. And the first thing is a really obvious one. Sin. If sanctification is being made more holy, 
more like Jesus. If you choose to sin, then you're going in the opposite direction of the way that God is wanting you to go. Does that make sense? So I want to say this. How are you doing with sin? I'm a church minister. I've got to ask these sort of questions. Are you sleeping with someone who's not your husband or wife? The Bible would describe that as sin. And the Bible also says, if you sin, what you do is you open up the door for death. Because the wages of sin is death. So that means it brings nothing but destruction and harm. How are you doing with lying? How are you doing with lying? How do you do with your tax returns? Are they honest? If you sin, what you're doing is you're going in the opposite direction to the way God wants you to go. Let's look at something else. That's a bit depressing, isn't it, that one? <laughs> Self-deception. Self-deception. Now, uh, I don't know if you've ever done a study in, on the New Testament on deception. The New Testament talks about deception a lot. It's quite a big deal. And it often says, do not be deceived. Have you read that in the New Testament? Do not be deceived. And it talks about how there are people who want to deceive you, ideas that will come and deceive you. And then also, when you look at this whole subject of deception, there's a kind of smaller subsection called self-deception. Self-deception. So in other words, the Bible is saying this. This is what humans do, okay? We know something is not true, and we know what the truth is, and we look at these two, and we say, hmm, I'm going to believe what's not true even though we know what the truth is. That's self-deception. We choose to do that. We probably do that because of pain. Because the truth sometimes can be very painful. So we say, no, I, I, I can't. I'm going to believe something else instead. The Bible says <clears throat> there are three areas where humans are spectacularly vulnerable to self-deception. And I'd just like to take a quick look at those. The first one you'll know from 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Self-deception. And the truth is not in us. You see, we don't like being wrong, humans. And if we have to face up to the fact that there is sin in us, we don't like that, do we? Well, I don't. Perhaps you do. I... We don't like it. <clears throat> hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's another area. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3 says this Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. In other words, we like to be, to know what's going on. We like to be, no, I know what's going on. I think if you come to me, you've got the answer. I know what's going on. I'm in charge. I'm in control. I know what's going on. Yeah, I'm thinking of you. That's right. <laughs> no. We are, we are uh, vulnerable on this one. <clears throat> and 
And then the last one is Galatians 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So the other thing is we like to do is we like to overinflate our sense of self-importance. Now, you are important because, because you are sons and daughters of God. But sometimes we like to get our importance from other things that we shouldn't get them from. <clears throat> okay. Now, why is all that important? Why is self-deception important? It's important because this. This process of sanctification is about change. It's about identifying something that's wrong and saying, I need to change from that to something that's right. But if you constantly are deceiving yourself about something that's wrong and calling it right, you're very unlikely to change. Do you see what I mean? So you interfere with the process of sanctification. Okay, let's have a uh, look at another one. Pride. Pride, this is another one. Obviously, we see this modeled in the Pharisees. We see pride or hard-heartedness. And uh, what the Bible says is that makes you blind and deaf to the truth. It's not great, is it? And as a result, uh, we, we read about the Pharisees that they do not turn to Jesus. They are not healed and they are not changed. Pride keeps them away. <clears throat> How are you doing with humility? Are you? <laughs> You're doing really well, are you? <laughs> Fantastically well. I am great at humility. <laughs> Let me, can somebody write that down? Dave Gad said. Yeah. Well, Dave then, I'm going to address this to you. <laughs> King David modelled humility. Fantastic. King David was a really able guy, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, David. There you go. In fact, it's not King David, it's Dave Gad. Look. <laughs> yeah, and he said this. I, I mean, he was a great guy, but he made some horrendous mistakes, Dave, didn't he? King Dave. <clears throat> and he said this in Psalm 139. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. In other words, he's saying this, he's getting before God and he's saying this, God, I'm really not sure about my own heart. I don't know what's going on in it, but please will you run your fingers through it and tell me if there's a problem. Please will you kind of search me out and uh, uh, set me free. That is a great way of encouraging the process of sanctification in your life. Yeah. You go before and do a King David, oh God, help me. But you need humility to do that. A couple more things quickly. Legalism, um, when we read out one, one Galatians 5, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That is talking about submitting to legalistic righteousness as opposed to submitting to the grace of God. Okay, I won't go into the detail of that, but legalism is a killer. Yeah. It's a killer, and it will enslave you, and it's really tempting for humans to get involved in legalism. Okay, there's that one. And then lastly, passivity. Passivity. If we're passive about this stuff, it says never be lacking in zeal, but keep up your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And I just thought I'd put a picture of this young lady in there. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate passive, passive person, 
I'm I bothered? I'm I bothered? Yeah, yeah, do you know what? As Christians, we are bothered, or should be. We are bothered. And I want to say this to you. If you are, uh, this is probably more appropriate this morning than this here, to be honest. But if you are older, the temptation as you get into your middle age and older is to say, well, you know, I haven't changed by now. Why? I I can't see me changing now. No, 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 no. We need to set the example, actually. I want to encourage you to press on uh, into not being like this, but being uh, uh, determined. I'm going to finish on this. Sanctification, therefore, is not an optional extra. I'd like Hope Church, therefore, to be a place where we are open to and actively encourage godly change. That's the process of sanctification in our lives. I'd like that to be a value among us. If we just write it down on a piece of paper, it's lovely, but it means nothing. It's just an aspiration. But if we get hold of this and we say, no, actually, I want this to encourage sanctification in my life. It means that you will be open occasionally to people saying, hey, what about this in your life? And you won't say, how dare you? No, you won't go prickly on people. But you will say, hey, this is good. Someone is trying to give me information that could help to change me. That's a mature way of responding to it. Or you can be immature and that's, how dare you? We don't want to be like that. We want to encourage. This is not normal. The world doesn't do this. The world gets really annoyed when you point out errors. But church, we've got to model something different. Let this be a real value among us. Yeah? Yeah. Amen. Let's pray together. So Jesus, I thank you that you have come and you have set us free. I thank you that you have saved us and nothing will change that. But Lord, we also recognize that you are also wanting to change us and sanctify us. So Lord, we ask you to help us cooperate with you in the process of change and sanctification. Because we love you and we want to be more like you. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to demonstrate his glory. We want to demonstrate his mercy and his kindness and his courage and his forgiveness. So help us, Lord, because we need help. Every single one of us needs help. Lord, we're all in that same boat. So Holy Spirit, come freshly on us today, I pray, and help us to uh, agree with you when you say you want to change us. Help us to react well when people bring uh, helpful criticism to us. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.